to the NDT Scouting Weekly Podcast, 365 Draft. Here is your host, Kyle Krabs. Hello, everybody. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever you're listening. Thank you uh, for coming back. Episode 2 of 365 Draft. Uh, I'm NDT Scouting Director of Scouting, Kyle Krabs. Uh, your ringleader of festivities for uh, episode two. Uh, today we are going to take a look at philosophical premiums and trade scout. Uh, this was an idea that was passed to me by uh, somebody on Twitter, uh, something they thought they would enjoy listening to me talk about. Um, pretty much the long and the short of it is this is going to take a look at um, specific traits by position that I personally feel as though uh, can can hold an impact and, and be something that you hold the most amount of value or weight in uh, in a player evaluation when you're looking at the film. Uh, real quick, if you haven't had the chance to listen to episode one, uh, you can catch it at NDT Scouting under the 365 Draft tab. Now that we have more than one podcast available, uh, you're going to have a running queue. So you're going to be able to pull any episodes that you may or may not have been able to catch. They're all going to be available at ndtscouting.com for your listening pleasure. Uh, quick shout-out again before we get started. Uh, Tony Usawa, uh, excellent beat that we're using as our intro tunes. Uh, you can find them on SoundCloud. Tony, U-S-A-W-A, Usawa. I highly recommend them. Uh, really strong R&B beat, beats and uh, tracks. Episode 2. Okay. Um, this idea of trait-based scouting was something that I had not really even thought of actually being something. And uh, then I had the opportunity to, to share a phone call with Dan Hatman from the Scouting Academy. And uh, one of the first things that he said was, I love the fact that your evaluations and, and your written evals, you're, you're doing trait-specific scouting. Um, and I, it really hadn't occurred to me as being something that uh, was notable. But you, you stop and you think about it, and a lot of player evaluations, you know, you, you pull it up and it's just this big running paragraph. And, you know, you work your way through and they hit all the content. But to actually separate it, you know, I think that is something that, that really helps provide some clarity, not just as a reader reading an evaluation, but as an evaluator, when you're going through and you know, okay, you know, it almost gives you a mental checklist to say, okay, let me see player X do this. And you watch for a while and you're able to get a little bit of context and you know, you're, you're getting a solid sample size and then you can make the mental realization to move on and almost cue the next trait and work your way down the list. Uh, I think it really helps simplify... Uh, your ability to mentally digest a uh, film because there's so many layers, there's so many things going on. Um, you know, NDT scouting scores 10 traits per position, uh, 10 trait specific um, skills that are meant to be not just a specific term but umbrella terms that cover um, some wide ranging skill sets that are actively displayed on film. Um, so it gives you this ability to, you know, break film down into its simplest, um, most basic form 
to say, okay, I want to see this player do this trait, as compared to just turning on the tape, watching play-by-play -play results, and maybe you're losing a little bit of the value of the film because you're just seeing a player lose a rep or win a rep. But when you look at the actual traits, it's able to give you a little bit of insight as to why this player is losing reps, why this offensive tackle is unable to pass block on the perimeter because his feet are too heavy or too slow or his angles aren't strong. It, it just really helps simplify your process of watching film. So I think it's something that you know, hopefully you find this helpful as a listener. I know certainly prior to the current system that I've used the last two seasons, um, I, I've noticed the way I watch film when I'm looking for trait-specific uh, incidents on a play-by-play -play basis. It, it has really changed the way that I watch film. So we're going to hit all positions here. Uh, we're just going to run down the list. I'm going to share some thoughts. I'm going to elaborate a little bit on what the quote-unquote umbrella term is meant to cover. Uh, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, offensive guards, and centers will be grouped together as interior offensive linemen. Offensive tackles will be grouped separately. Uh, edge defenders, five techniques, your, your three, four defensive ends, defensive tackles, your off-ball linebackers, and then your defensive backs. Uh, so that's what we're going to be working through today as we go. Um, as I said, you know, I'm just going to try to provide a little bit of some talking points for this is what this phrase means. This is what I'm looking for when I say this trait. So without further ado, we're just going to dive right in. Uh, quarterbacks. Now, there's a lot of different ways. Um, the <laughs> the joke and running narrative is, you know, the old school guys look for arm strength, and if you you have the ability to throw a ball through a wall, uh, you're going to appeal to old school guys. Uh, the the trait, the single trait that I think stands out the most to me, is arm accuracy slash ball placement. Um, this does not just consist of completion percentage. You're looking at the quarterback's ability to place the ball on the hands of receivers on all three levels of the field, short, in the backfield, 0 to 9, intermediate, 10 to 20, deep, 20 plus. Those are the three levels of the field. You're looking for consistency, and being able to narrow that down, you're even able to say, you know, good short and intermediate ball placement skills struggles pushing the ball down the field. Or maybe you're looking at distance throws laterally. You're saying struggles throwing out patterns to the far sideline. Um, it, it will help provide some specificity to what you're explaining and what you're actually seeing. Um, now, some of that accuracy issues maybe compensation for lack of natural arm strength. So that's where you need to, to look at ball trajectory. You know, is he able to push the ball? But before I get too sidetracked, because you could, you could pretty much go on off on side tangents for pretty much any and all of these positions with the actual trade itself, um, ball placement, the ability to place the ball not just to a receiver, but to set receivers up for run after the catch or subsequently throw them away from hits. Now, sometimes you'll see a ball come low and inside, but there's a, a defensive back sitting in a zone that's ready to close down and make a break on that throw, 
So the receiver might have to adjust, but in reality, that's an accurate throw because the quarterback is, A, protecting his receiver, and, B, he's minimizing the chance that that defensive back is going to be able to make a play on that throw. So I think when you're watching and you're seeing receivers adjust to throws, you know, you have to ask yourself, is there a reason why this quarterback would throw that ball in that area of the receiver's catch radius? Or is it an accurate throw? Is there any reason why this quarterback might try to place that ball on the opposite shoulder of where the receiver's looking over? So just ask yourself some questions and, and really try to get into the head of a quarterback and see what he's seeing and say, okay, there is a defensive back over top, so I'm going to make this receiver come short and underthrow the ball slightly. Running backs. Uh, again, a lot of different ways you can go. Um, my evaluations for running backs actually has a couple traits rated with the same value, but if I had to pick one, I would say it is feet and change of direction skills. Uh, you look at guys like Amir Abdullah, obviously not a burner, 40-yard uh, time was average at best, but subsequently you look at the agility that he has in short areas and his ability to make defenders miss in tight areas. That is something that cannot be taught. That is a natural gift. His foot speed is tremendous. So the ability of a running back to, A, break down either in the backfield or in open space and collect and gather himself on his center of gravity, and B, his ability to stick his foot in the ground and cut, and cut either cut back against the grain or cut through a tackle pursuit angle or, you know, just that, that burst from a still position or from a breaking down position in the open field. Uh, those are things that I really feel like help running backs because now you're looking at, this is something that will help add to run after contact, yards after contact. Um, this is not something that's necessarily tracked. You know, you look at ability to break tackles as power running, but that ability to, you know, have somebody coming in on a strong angle and your ability to stick your foot in the ground, have the ankle flexion to be able to cut on a steep angle, that is something that I think is a premium trait because realistically your flexibility and your foot speed can't be taught. Now, you can learn, you know, not necessarily to uh, a premium extent, but you can learn to read holes. You can learn and gather a feel for where your lanes are. But to be able to create and really cut and make yardage happen with your foot quickness and your ability to burst off of a still position, I think that's a premium trait. So that's what stands out to me for running backs. Uh, wide receivers and tight ends are lumped together route running skills. Um, you know, your traditional tight ends, uh, you're looking for maybe some, some inline blocking skills, but in today's NFL with so much emphasis on the passing game and, and vertical weapons and the ability to get up the seam and, you know, from, from a wide receiver perspective, it doesn't matter if you run a 4-5, four, 5-4-6. Five, five, four, if you can run routes and you can get open, you're going to be a productive player. So some of the things that you look for in route running, uh, I like to look for altered stems. Um, maybe you're running a, a corner pattern, and there's a defensive back that's lined up with an outside shade. He's trying to um, filter you inside. Maybe they're running um, 
cover one, so they got a single high safety. He's trying to keep outside leverage and push you into his help on the inside of the field. Um, that, that ability to release, A, that is a skill that being able to win at the line of scrimmage, uh, I kind of factor into, again, the umbrella term, route running. I count that in route running. And then once you are gathering upfield momentum, maybe you didn't win your initial outside move and you're forced inside. Are you able to bow your stem inside, force that defensive back to squeeze with you, and then subsequently flip behind him and get to the outside positioning where you have the, the sideline free, where you're able to run underneath passes? Um, closing cushion. Say, for example, you're a tight end uh, lined up in the slot, and you have a defensive back, a, maybe a safety, eight yards, five yards off the ball, and you're running a stick pattern. So when you release up the field, that defensive back is already squatting at the area that you're going to be thinking about breaking down for your, for your stem, at the top of your stem. Do you have the ability to close and get on top and quote-unquote step on the toes of that defender and force them to commit to opening their hips up the field. If you do, that is a plus for your route running skills to really be aggressive and close in on top and force that defensive back to, to open hips, concede some ground as compared to staying square, staying flat-footed, and being able to stick his foot in the ground and drive on a throw. If you have that ability, that's a plus for route running. That might be looked at from some people as explosiveness and speed, but realistically, you don't need to be 4-3 to close cushion and really get on top of people. And then the last one is your efficiency out of your breaks. I think Nelson Aguilar and Amari Cooper stand out as two obvious mentions here where there's short area quickness at the top of their breaks. Uh, once they stick their foot in the ground, uh, they're able to roll through that break and snap that head around. And that sudden change of direction, that efficiency, that lack of five, six steps to break down and then subsequently cut that high play speed, that natural ability to sustain their momentum through their break and carry it through into the open field, those are things that separate your average receivers to your top-end productivity receivers, in my opinion. Uh, I, I know Devontae Parker, there were a couple pictures from rookie training camp where he was showing off some tremendous lower body flexibility. And that is another thing that can factor into the efficiency of your breaks. If you're capable of producing steep lower body angles, you can roll through breaks much quicker than you can if you were a stiff receiver. Now, obviously, flexibility is one of the other traits that I look at for receivers, so there is some crossover there. But you're looking for the functional application of flexibility in the route running, which is where it factors in on the umbrella term that we're talking about here. Offensive tackles. Pass footwork for me. Uh, if you're an, an edge protector on, along the offensive line, you need to be able to uh, stay clean, take strong angles. You need to be able to protect the quarterback. Otherwise, you're going to be kicked inside the guard. You're going to work in tight windows. 
Uh, everybody knows the the narrative. Heavy-footed guy, you just kick him inside, let him work inside. Uh, there's more to pass footwork than just foot speed. Um, obviously, foot speed is something that will factor in. Um, somebody with the ability, Jake Fisher stands out, who has those quick typewriter feet and has the foot quickness to really drive and get some depth off the line of scrimmage when they're in a third and long passing situation with a deep five-step drop. That ability to get depth, keep your outside foot up, so that way if your defender tries to cut back inside, it's not a free run. That defender also has to run through a body part, your upfield leg. That ability to sustain that proper foot distribution, that width of your base, uh, that stands out outside of foot quickness. Uh, your step efficiency. Are you capable of sticking your outside foot as a left tackle, your left foot in the ground, and driving as you are conceding depth against an inside counter move to really help bar off that inside gap? Are you capable of keeping your inside post leg centered on the ground and time your punches with it? Now, there's a lot of factors in here, but primarily I'm looking for depth off the line of scrimmage, strong angles, which is the third and final point. Uh, you, you bow that pass rush track out by gathering not just depth, but also a little bit of width. You, know, you can't just drop straight back because now you're conceding a tighter angle. You widen out and you have the advantage off the snap. So you're gaining depth and subsequently adding a little bit of width just to continue to add the steepness to that angle as a pass rusher that now you really have to drop the inside shoulder and hug tight and apply a lot of pressure to the offensive tackle's outside shoulder. So you're looking for foot distribution, the ability to sustain a wide, comfortable base, foot quickness, and just in general, the ability to mirror in space. Do you have the ability to pick and put down your feet quickly enough to be able to handle speed to power, outside speed rush, inside counter, so on and so forth? Interior offensive linemen, both your guards and centers, uh, what really stands out to me, what really helps make a high-quality player at this position is their power at the point of attack. As like Gabe Jackson in 2014, uh, Lakin Tomlinson this year, uh, these are road graders, traditional road graders, capable of winning at the point of attack. Uh, they rarely have initiated contact in the offensive backfield. They are consistently attacking. They're consistently resetting the line of scrimmage beyond the original line of scrimmage to help either establish push or to be able to wash defenders down in the run game. When you're looking for pass protection skills from these players, power at the point of attack as an interior offensive lineman, how quickly are you capable of dropping your butt and anchoring to be able to prevent yourself from conceding ground and getting collapsed into the quarterback's lap? So that ability to hold when not on the attack and the ability to consistently generate movement either linear off the line of scrimmage or laterally as a zone blocker, uh, that is what stands out to me. That is what really helps make interior offensive linemen as effective as possible. Flipping over to the defensive side of the ball, your edge defenders, your 4-3 defensive ends, 
three, four outside linebackers. Uh, what really stands out to me is both explosiveness and hand tech. For the sake of speaking from a technical term, I'm going to touch a little bit on hand tech. Uh, one of the things that I like to preach on is a defensive lineman's ability to stack blocks. When I say stack, I mean your hands, your inside hand, say, say you're a 4-3 defensive end. Your responsibility is C-gap outside contained. Your inside, you know, as a right defensive end, your inside hand is responsible for playing in the center of the chest of the offensive lineman. Your outside hand, fundamentally, should be free, but you should be able to lock out both arms and establish an arm length distance between your chest and the chest of the offensive lineman across from you. This is called stacking a block. Once you have your arms locked out, it's very difficult for an offensive lineman to collapse those arms back in because anatomically you're locked all the way from the shoulder down through the wrist. It's one long lever. So if you're able to attack with your hands and establish a stacked block, you are controlling the block at this point. As long as you are playing low, you are capable of holding your ground, squatting, and then subsequently reading the block reading the backfield action depending on what your coach asks you to do and subsequently shedding that block and making a play. Shedding blocks is subsequently another piece of hand tech. Um, from a pass rushing perspective you're looking for efficiency uh, attacking the wrist or the elbow of an offensive lineman. Uh, you could be looking at a forearm club and sweep down through uh, bringing your inside hand up down over top of the wrists, following through with a hard club and sweeping those offensive linemen's hands off of your chest to keep yourself clean. Uh, from a run defense perspective, you could be looking at subsequently sustaining the inside arm locked out and stringing plays to the sideline. You could be looking at uh, potentially that previously mentioned forearm club. There's a lot of different general application skills here that can be factored into hand technique and one of the things that stands out to me from an offensive and defensive lineman perspective with their hands is once you have the ability to not just establish your primary responsibility but you are capable of adding functional counters or functional shed of blocks whether it's a wrist, wrist lift where you place your inside hand on the chest of your offensive lineman and you take your outside hand and you time your punch so that you're pressing up to the sky attacking through the wrist of the offensive lineman's outside arm if you are capable of trapping the wrist and lifting and pressing up that offensive lineman is very susceptible to an outside rush things like this when you're capable of implementing these things in live game action that really speaks to me about your ability to mentally process the game. You know, the game is moving slow enough for you that you can say, okay, I've executed now. How do I get off of this block? How do I attack this play? Five techniques. Also, I'm looking at hand tech as a premium trait. Uh, there is a slight difference here. Uh, traditionally, ideally, your five techniques are two-gap players. So you're no longer playing inside hand on the center of the chest. You are almost looking for 
a run fit where both of your hands are pressed and locked out through um, this quote-unquote strike zone, uh, the breastplate of your opponent. And both of those hands are locked out in on the numbers. You have inside hands. Uh, inside hands win control, whether you're an offensive or defensive player. And now your responsibility is to squat, hold, keep that block stacked, and read the play, read the block. Which way is the blocker trying to take you? Is he trying to wash you down the line of scrimmage? If he is, you're trying to fight across his face. If he's simply content to run you and you see a gap opening up and now you have the back cutting off of his hip, you need to be able to have the ability to transition that hand from a stack position to, again, attacking either the elbow or the wrist and get off the block and make a play. Defensive tackles. Uh, I look for effort. I look for motor here. I think it's really important for your interior pressure players, uh, especially if you're running a 4-3, your three techs, those who uh, potentially can help create organic pass rush uh, with a defensive front four where you're not having to send extra defenders just to create pressure. The ability to consistently attack and have a high motor uh, is something that's really special when you're talking about 300-plus pound players regularly giving extreme exertion on a snap-to-snap -snap basis. So that's something, I mean, it's pretty basic. Um, initial push, uh, your physicality on a snap-to-snap -snap basis, your pad level on a snap-to-snap -snap basis, just your general consistency. And once you're beaten on a block, you know, if, if you are one-gap penetration roll and you win upfield, but subsequently that play is being run inside of you, do you make a conscious effort to try and fight back across face and try to make a play? Because a lot of times, maybe these plays get bottled up, and now that opportunity is there for you to limit this play to a 2-3 yard game, where if you're just running into the backfield and the play is run off of you and you just kind of pull up and turn around and, and watch this play might go for twice as long or potentially even more. The other big thing with, with defensive tackles that I look for from an effort perspective is what is your quote-unquote sphere of influence at the line of scrimmage? Um, your lateral pursuit skills. Now your traditional 3-4 nose tackles might only impact B-gap to B-gap where your athletic players might be able to run not just tackle to tackle, but maybe hash to hash and still have an impact on the play. I will say I was not as high on Danny Shelton as a lot of people were this year, but seeing him string plays out to the hash and close down and then subsequently get up field and help finish plays when traffic was bottling up ball carriers towards the perimeter was really impressive. It reminded me of watching Zach Kerr do the same thing at Delaware and at the East-West Shrine game in 2014. So there's a lot of value there for me, just your ability to make an impact on as many plays as possible. Linebackers, off-ball off linebackers, whether it's 4-3 uh, middle or outside linebackers or 3-4 inside linebackers, uh, just linebackers that are not playing at the line of scrimmage. I used to call this term instincts. After speaking with Dan Hatman, uh, he provided me some excellent feedback 
and I'm adjusting this. It's not instincts anymore. It's applied football intelligence. How quick are you to read plays? You know, how do you diagnose plays? Do you line up properly? Are you capable of directing a defense? Do you know your responsibility and that of those around you? Uh, are you capable of recognizing down and distance, formation, uh, preferred plays of your opponent? You know, Eric Kendricks did this a couple times where, you know, down and distance, and it almost felt like he knew what the play was before the play was run. And realistically, if you've played football at, at almost any level with organization, high school or up, you know in your, your weekly preparations, coaches pick up on trends. And when you find these trends, say, okay, it's third and two, offenses in trips left. The, they're going to run slant patterns with the outside two receivers, and the slot is going to be running, running uh, a smoke pattern, and they're trying to set up a quick throw to try and pick up the first down. Trends like this, if you're able to process in-game and diagnose and be able to quickly react to the play, that value on the second level really helps minimize a lot of plays to minimum gains. Um, also, football intelligence. It's, you don't, it's the things you really don't even think about as a linebacker. Do you take good angles? Do you recognize how fast you actually are? Or do you think you can make every play and you're shooting up underneath gaps? Or do you recognize that ball carrier is going to run out of space stringing this run to the sideline so I can shoot this gap and I'll be able to stick my helmet in his ear hole and finish the tackle? And then subsequently, you know, linebackers are taught your first step is where? To the line of scrimmage. You're making a run-read step. So that way you have some forward momentum to be able to close down. Now, backers are either looking at interior offensive linemen, maybe they're reading the backs in the backfield. But their first step should be able to dictate to you pass or run. And that's something that if you don't make a practice of when you're watching film, is watch offensive linemen's first step and say, pass or run. Try and diagnose plays. Try and get in the head of a football player. And when you're taking that run-read step and you recognize your first foot isn't even down, and you're seeing offensive linemen concede ground. You need to be able to process that quickly and transition. How quick are you to transition from your attack to getting depth in pass protection or in pass drops? So those are just a couple of examples of applied football intelligence, things that make a lot of sense when you stop and think about it. But when you're in the heat of the action, it should be second nature for the top-end prospects. And finally, uh, defensive backs. Uh, it's a trait we've already talked about, but for different reasons. Uh, feet and change direction skills. When you're working out in space, working on an island, working on the perimeter, it's really important for you, both safeties and corners, to be efficient with your feet, to have quick feet, to be able to establish your set base, to take that drop bucket step and stick your foot in the, in the ground and drive on underneath throws to be able to explode uh, from a standing position and close down space. Also to be able to adjust to stems. You know, as you flip your hips and you're working upfield and you're in the, the, the hip pocket of a receiver running vertical down the field and suddenly uh, they give you three step in 
out corner pattern where they're selling the post corner, um, do you have the foot efficiency to transition from three inside steps, subsequently stick your foot in the ground, and make a hard cut back to the corner, and potentially undercut a throw. If the, th if the ball is underthrown, and you're capable of making that hard cut, now you're in a favorable position to undercut the throw, because you're behind, or the receiver is out in front of you. So now you have the opportunity to attack an underthrown ball, and then subsequently, if you if the ball is not underthrown, you need to have the length and ball skills to make a play. But that's a totally different set of skills. So, one final thought on feet for defensive backs. Uh, I think it's really important. Something that's really underrated is if you are playing off-man coverage, uh, five yards at the line of scrimmage, and you're dropping off the line of scrimmage. Do you have the foot quickness to be able to sustain a low pad level, low center of gravity, squat down into your back pedal, and are you capable with your feet of sustaining that cushion for as long as you possibly can before subsequently flipping your hips up to the sideline? A lot of comeback patterns are one because defensive backs swing open that inside leg and they commit to flipping their hips and running up the field. Once a receiver has you flipping your hips open, if they're running an underneath comeback pattern, chances are that's game over unless you have supreme explosiveness or the ball is inaccurately placed. So those are just a couple of thoughts uh, on some of the premium traits um, that I personally look for in my film evaluation on a position-by-position -position basis. If you do not, I would highly encourage you to place together a list by position. What are things I should look for from this player? What are things that I think make a successful player at this position? And start evaluating play players specifically on these traits. I think it will really help you as an evaluator uh, get some clarity, get some organization, and really make a, a scientific process out of your film uh, studies. If you are listening for the first time, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, if you are a repeat listener, I would like to thank you for coming back. As I said, we will be doing these weekly. So, you know, 365 draft, we talk all draft all year long. Uh, my goal is to continue to build the audience, continue to build uh, some interaction with you as listeners. If you have any questions, uh, you can contact me at ndtscouting.com or on Twitter at the handle NDT Scouting. Um, please feel free. I'm very open to suggestions. Uh, the direction of this podcast is going to go wherever you guys as listeners want it to go. Uh, my goal is to be as interactive, as transparent as I possibly can be to help give you guys some perspective on how I do things, hopefully give you some insight and give you some new ideas, and potentially maybe pick up some new ideas from you guys as well. So thank you very much, guys, for listening, and until next week, this is Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting, and this is 365 Draft.